by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. All right, we've been in a series titled Seven Things, and it kind of spurred from a video I made to the new believers and people who get born again in the service we get them a gift bag and it's got a video in there um, that's posted on our website and it talks about what do I do now that I'm a born again Christian because people get saved and you remember when you got saved you were just a little baby you had no idea what you had done and how do I go what am I supposed to do am I supposed to be this or that and so I just wanted to help them and they're basic things and there's seven things on the video and they all lead to the one thing is just Seven ways to get closer to Jesus, because that's really your one thing. That's all of our one thing, right? Is to know him more. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we become like him. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? And when we walk with Jesus, we begin to agree with Jesus. We begin to be like Jesus. We begin to share in his glory and shine his light. So anyway, we started out, the first one was like prayer, read your Bible, and go to church, and then we had our, last week we had our testimony service about how we love our church. So that's where we've been so far. Those are all basic things, but we're trying to, you know, you can preach on these things a million times and put a different spin on it. We all need to hear these things again. I mean, you say, how many times do you have to teach on reading your Bible? Until everybody starts reading their Bible, I guess. <laughs> if we could get there, maybe we could lax up on it a bit, you know. But today is the fourth a thing in my seven things, and it's called get involved. Because you don't just have a church, but you need to get involved in your church. Ephesians, and, and, and the actual message title is Forever Family. Forever Family. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of of the household of God. See, when you gave your heart to Jesus, you're not a stranger to God. You're not a foreigner to the church. You're fellow members of the household of God. You know, if you live in the household, you live with mom and daddy, you come in the house, you ain't got to ask, can I get something out of the fridge? You just go over there and open the fridge and get what you want. I don't know what kind of house you've been living in, girl. I didn't ask could I get a biscuit when I was living in my house, you know. And the Bible says we can come boldly before our, our God. Boldly at his throne of grace in our time of need. We're members of the house. We live in God's house. Now, there should be a difference. And you know, when you live in a house, what? When I was growing up, I don't know about today, when I was growing up, we had chores. Mama was talking about that today. She said, you still make your bed? <laughs> She made me make my bed every day. We have responsibilities in the household, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Get involved in the church because that's leading you to Christ. And I'm going to explain why today. And I want to thank each of you who gave testimonies last Sunday. Wasn't that awesome? 
I mean, I ain't never seen so many tissues being passed around, people just crying with joy of the, the things that God has done in their family and their lineage and their generations to come, the things that they're excited about how God has done through this church family. And I want to thank you. And I love my church. I do. I wish we could have a testimony service every Sunday. I love it. We was up here praying Tuesday night at our 630 prayer. And I was we had chairs through here, and I was sitting about right here. And Jalen was sitting on this side. Where'd Jalen go? Jalen's right over here. How old are you, Jalen? He's 15 years old. Now, if that don't tell you something, a 15-year-old coming to an hour-long prayer service. I love my church. That is unusual, my friend. Jalen was sitting here praying with the adults at 15 years old because he's a young man. And there was another lady sitting on the other side of me. And this other lady was praying. And she was praying intensely. And she got in a little emotional. She began to cry. You could tell she was crying. And here I am, the good pastor, sitting there just praying along with her. And I felt something sweep beside my feet. And I looked down, opened up one eye to see what was going on. And Jalen was shuffling the tissues down to the lady to my right. I love my church. A 15-year-old picks up on somebody's need in the prayer service. A pastor's sitting there in the way. <laughs> and I'm thinking, why didn't I think of that? But Jalen is thinking about somebody else's needs. That's what makes a church special. That's the kind of thing that God just thrives on. He loves that. I want you to look to your left and your right. Won't you, won't you make some eye contact with somebody on your row? This is your forever family. This is your forever family. I know some of you got deep attachments to your earthly family, to your natural blood family, and that's great. Some of us don't. So, I mean, some people don't. But the thing is, is this is the family you're going to be with forever. If they're born again, you're going to be with these brothers and sisters throughout all of eternity. This is your forever family. And I want you to know, as you build God's kingdom in your life, and here at this church, we are building our forever home. That's on your sheet if you want to fill it out. When you build God's kingdom, you're building your forever family. Some people don't want to invest in the church. Oh, I got my own life. I am, I'm invested in my job. I'm invested in my recreation. I'm invested in my home. I'm invested in all these things. And we say, well, you know, the church, somebody else will do that. The church just seems to magically pay the light bill somehow. Or, you know, the church just seems to get along. I don't really, you know, the church is just something I go to to get me something. You know, but they don't see that investing into the God's kingdom through the church, you're investing in your forever home. There's no better investment. This is an internal, pays eternal dividends. Forever. But the, of course, the tendency as humans, and to be carnally minded by nature, is to, to spend our time bogged down building temporary housing. 
instead of building an eternal kingdom, we get temporary housing-minded. And we start to try to build our little kingdoms here. But the Bible says we're walking through this valley of the shadow of death. We're not supposed to set up camp in this valley. He told Abraham to go to a nation I'll show you. He didn't even tell him where he's going. And, and Abraham said, I'm a sojourner in this land. And Hebrews 11 says that we're not from here, but we look to a, a, a future kingdom. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we're ambassadors for Christ. That means you're not from here. You're just a representative of the kingdom of heaven here. And if we had a proper perspective of these things, we'd be about building our eternal home, more so than even, you know, your little three-bedroom where you live. And we wouldn't be, we'd pay more attention to the things which cannot be seen than we do the things that are temporary to be seen. In 536 before Christ, 536 years before Christ, God sent a man named Zerubbabel to Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem had been ransacked by the Babylonians and the temple had been destroyed and the walls had been torn down. And you know the story. We've been talking about Nehemiah for some time. We talked a lot about Nehemiah building the walls, coming back to Jerusalem and building the walls. But did you know Nehemiah wasn't the first one God sent back to Jerusalem? In fact, he wasn't even the second one God sent back to Jerusalem. First, God sent back Zerubbabel to build the temple in Jerusalem. And then he sent back Ezra, the priest, to restore worship, because you couldn't restore worship if there's no temple, no place to meet. And then he sent Nehemiah to rebuild the walls, because what good is a wall if you don't have anything precious worth guarding? I didn't even realize that. But Zerubbabel came back first. And he began to build, as God instructed, a new temple. They put the foundations down. For two years, they were hard at work. You know, you can get excited about building God's kingdom, can't you? I remember, you know, I see a lot of times people get saved. And for about two years, they're excited. But then they kind of get bogged down by the cares of life. Worries and concerns, bills, children, and all these things. And they get concerned, and then they stop building the house of God. And they begin to build their houses. And that's what happened. Actually, I can't remember exactly how it went, but something, you know, with the, the resources to build the house stopped because it was the king of Persia who was sending the resources, and somebody sent bad word, and there, there were some communication issues. There was some, the devil kind of got involved, you know, and confused some people, and so they stopped work on the, on the temple. And how, you, how many know that there's going to come opposition when you begin to build the house of God, when you begin to rebuild the kingdom of God in your heart? The devil's not just going to sit back and see you finish the foundation, and good job. He's going to come and try to delay. He's going to come and try to destroy, to tear down. He's going to send innuendos and rumors and all these things we've experienced, you've experienced in your life. He's going to send 
distractions. I tell you, I don't know of anybody that's ever been born again here in the church that I didn't call them the next week that they didn't say, well, I won't, I won't be there next Sunday, Pastor, because I got a new job. I'm just kidding, but it sure seems like that. I'm telling you, if you want a job, get born again here in this church. Because the devil will give you a job to make sure you don't come back the next Sunday. I've had, I've had that happen 20 times if one time. I'm, I'm not kidding you. People, how come the people that get born again don't come back the next Sunday? They all got a job. <laughs> I'm serious. The best way to get employed is get saved at the Passion Church. That's just a... <laughs> but for two years, they, they did good, and then they got distracted. Whatever the distraction is, they're coming, all right? You have to fight the distractions. And they got distracted, and in the meantime, they started building their houses. They got busy building their will on the earth. And how many knows, for 17 years, they built their houses. And it's easier, the farther you get away from building the foundation of God's house, the farther you get away, the easier it is to just forget about God's house. And they completely forgot about God's house to the point God had to send the prophet Haggai. Now, the book of Haggai has just got two chapters, and most of it is talking about this very thing, about how God's people had stopped building God's house. Let's turn to Haggai chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 2. I got icicles on my mustache, so... God sends the prophet Haggai in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. That means it's Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of heaven's armies. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They're making excuses, in other words. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much. You've worked hard to make a living, but you harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink and are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as if you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look is what is happening to you. Do you ever feel like that? Are you unsatisfied in your life? I think we all are to some degree. We keep thinking there's got to be more. I'm doing all this and I'm... And I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses, and I bought that TV, and I was happy for a little while, but, you know, two weeks later, that's old news, and it, it's not keeping me happy anymore. And all my money that I'm making, it's like, it's like the government's getting half of it, and the, my kids are getting another half of <laughs> And Walmart's getting the rest, is what she said. Hey. She got three, th three of everything Walmart got if y'all need anything. 
she, she, she got three refrigerators, one woman. <clears throat> anyway, look at what's happening to you. Are you satisfied? Is there things on this earth that can keep you satisfied? We, we invest in people, and we think they're going to keep us happy. What was that saying I heard, though, that if you want a, a bad marriage, you know, just think about yourself. No. No. All right, so let me preach to this side for a minute. All right. So I'm just thinking, I'm trying to remember, is if, you, if you want a bad marriage, just think about yourself. If you want a good marriage, invest in your, your spouse. If you want a great marriage, put God first. Something along those lines, right? Bad, good, and great. And see, that's what we need to do. We need to put God first in all things, and then we will be satisfied. He's the only one who can satisfy. He says, now go up to the hills and bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it, and I will be honored, says the Lord. Don't you want to honor the Lord? Don't you want him to take pleasure You know, as we grow as Christians, and if we're truly following Christ, our motivations begin to mature. Why we do what we do. You know, hopefully, as, if we're coming and we're listening to the Word of God, we're reading the Word of God, we're following Jesus, we begin to mature in what motivates us. You know, David killed Goliath for selfish motivations. Have you ever thought about that? What did he say? He said, what do I get for killing this big guy? They said, well, you, you get to marry the king's daughter. You, you get a lot of money, and, and you don't have to pay taxes. He's like, say that again. What do I get? <laughs> he asked him twice. They told him. He said, okay, I'll go. He wasn't going. I mean, he, he, he was walking with the Lord and everything. But clearly his main motivation was he wanted those things. He didn't want to pay taxes. <laughs> it, was, he, it was what he could get out of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. When a baby Christian comes to Christ, they're baby Christians. They got to get what they can get. They don't have anything to give yet, right? So you're supposed to just depends solely on the Lord, and you're obviously going to do things. But as you mature in Christ, your motivations should begin to change. By the time David was an old man, all he cared about was building God's house. He said, God, I want to build you a temple. And God says, I don't live in man-made temples. There's nothing you can do for me. What, what house is going to contain me? But David was like, but I want to do something for you. And I don't think God really needs it a temple or a church, but for our sakes, so that we have a place to come, so that we can learn, so that his presence can be somewhere we can go and get filled up. He says, I'm not going to let you do it, David, but I'm going to let your son do it. And right, one of the last things that David did before he died was he took a huge collection from the people, but he gave his almost all his treasure. He gave tons of gold. Tons. So that his son Solomon, who God said would build the temple, would have everything he needed when he began work on the temple. 
David's motivations had matured by the end of his life. All he cared about was building his forever home. That makes sense? Especially as you get older and you know that's where you're going to be. You know you live here for this long, but you live there forever. You begin to say, hey, maybe I ought to start spending... Maybe I ought to start sending blessings ahead. I ought to start saving up treasure in heaven. I ought to be about God's business. Because God's business will one day be all of my business. And anyway, he took up this great collection and he prayed this great prayer. And part of it in 1 Chronicles 29, 15, he says this revelation. We're only here for a moment. Visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. He realized that he had a great-grandfather that wasn't here anymore, and that great-grandfather had a great-grandfather that wasn't here anymore, and that the and that Time just keeps moving on, and generations of people go to the grave, and people are they're here for a little while. They're like a flower in the field. They bloom one day, and the next day they wither and die. They're like a, our life is but a breath. And he realized, this, I'm like a visitor and a stranger here. What did it say? That reminds me, that first scripture, it says, that you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're citizens and saints and members of the household of God, right? But David, in the end of his life, is saying, in this world, is only for a moment, and I'm a visitor and a stranger here. And he realized that I'm a member of the household of God, and I really got to get my priorities straight. I cannot, you know, it would, it would really, it really becomes foolishness to, to think about setting up camp down here in the valley. If you think about it. Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 20, he says, but we are citizens of heaven. Now, of course, when Jesus came, he shifted the focus from the temple structure, the, the, the building, to people. He taught that we're all bricks in the house of God. We're all rocks that, um, upon which the, the church is built, and it's about the people. He says, let's turn to Luke 12, verse 42. Jesus shifted the focus from building buildings to building people. That's on your list there if you're filling out your blanks. Isn't this making sense to you? All right. Luke 12, 42, and the Lord replied, a faithful and a sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. So what's the master concerned about? The people. Feeding the people and, and taking care of one another, right? Just like Brenda yesterday. took Miss Lisa to the emergency room and sat with her all afternoon after she had been out there in the sun all day with Miss Lisa. 
She was managing other household servants and feeding them. In verse 43, it says, if the master returns and finds that servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. But what if the servant thinks my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, and partying, and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. I think he's a little serious about us taking care of one another. It really boils down to like the prodigal son parable. The one son, he wanted all his now. Dad, I want my inheritance now. Give me everything that's coming to me. I want to spend it on this 70 years that I may live, 90 years, 100 years down here. I want, I want to, I just want to, I want it to be about me. Give me mine. But then when that didn't work out for him, and he began to have holes in his pocket. See, God's not going to allow you to be happy apart from him, apart from his will. If you read on in that scripture in, uh, what was it, Haggai, you'll find out that it was the Lord making them feel uneasy, unfulfilled. The Lord will not allow you to live apart from him and be happy. <laughs> he loves you too much to see you take that path all the way to destruction. The prodigal son, he ended up where most of us end when we take that path. Man, even the food the pigs was eating was looking good. And he said, I'll just go home and be a servant in the house of my father. But the father was waiting on him. See, that's the good part, isn't it? That is our father's heart. All roads that he provides lead back to him to a place of rejoicing, a, a robe of righteousness, back to a signet ring on your fingers and new shoes on your feet and purpose and, and a, kill the fatted calf and party and rejoicing and thankfulness and singing. Man, there's the only real party in this world is in the house of God, among the people of God. Everybody, if you look around, do you see people in Walmart that are, that are joyful if they're not Christian? If they are rich and famous and they have everything that this world has to offer, do they walk around singing God's praise and a pep in their step? Or are they, or are they on their seventh divorce and contemplating suicide? Where are you going to go with that direction? God says, just come unto me. You ever think about, what if Jesus was here physically with us, helping us build this church? I mean, if Jesus was coming to our services on Sunday, he was at our prayer on Tuesday nights, I bet that would be the biggest prayer service we ever had. I bet the fire marshal would be out there making us Lock the door. We can't fit any more in here for prayer service on Tuesday night. If Jesus was physically here and helping us build this church, I'm telling you, 
<laughs> it would be crazy. We'd be volunteering for everything. We'd be fighting each other over getting to the bucket to put our offering in. I guarantee you, look at Jesus. <laughs> Nobody would be giving their financial leftovers. It wouldn't be no unemotional worship in the house of God. If Jesus himself was personally here, we wouldn't just attend if it was convenient. We'd be counting down the days when I get to go back to the house of God and see Jesus. We'd be on a mission to outserve one another. And I got news for you. Jesus is building this house. Jesus is here. And Jesus is watching our lives and our faithfulness. He is. Just because you can't see him don't mean it ain't happening. And so if the current state of this church is representative of our collective and independent passion for Christ, how are we doing? Let me say that again. If the current state of our church, not just the building, you know, not just the parking lot, not just the size of what we have and the amenities and so forth, but, but the relationships and the, the, the heart to serve and the, the willingness to go and reach our community and spread the gospel and all, the, all those things combined. If all those things is representative of our collective, that means all together, and our independent passion for Christ, how are we doing? How are we doing as a church? I think we're doing better than most. I think we're doing a lot better than most. I think we're heading in the right direction. But would... Do you see any room for improvement? Wouldn't you like to have better facilities and more people and more participation in the things that we do for Christ? I would. You know what? This is your church. Just like Zerubbabel was sent to build the temple. You were sent to help build this temple. You're a brick in this house of God. This is your church. This is what you are building for the Lord. I know that's not a common perception in America today that a church is just an organization. That's just where I go on Sundays. I, I understand that's what the world says and I, that's what carnal Christians think. But is that the way God sees it? Or is this church representative of what you personally and us collectively are building for the Lord? And if it is, are we satisfied with what we're doing? The church is the avenue by which you were called to shine. And surely it's time to mature in our motives for our life. Why we do what we do. And I believe you're like Timothy. I believe that you're a good soldier for Jesus Christ. 
I believe that you're a worker that need not be ashamed. I know the. If you're still here after how I hammer you every week, I know your intentions are good. I know you want to grow. I know you want to, to please God in every avenue of your life. I believe you're going to be a, I believe we're going to come together in this end times and we're going to be a church without spot or wrinkle. I believe God is raising up a congregation here that is going to be world changers. And I believe it's time to stop fighting against what God is doing. Stop arguing with God and saying, but God, I got this going on, and I got that going on. He knows what you got going on. You're saying, but I can't sacrifice my family for the church. God never asked you to sacrifice your family for the church. You don't think God can build both? I tell you what, my son Joshua, they used to call him Picklocker. That would, you know, Tom's got a nickname for everybody. But, but I have loved this church so deeply as I have attended here, and I got saved here 22 years ago or something, that I have spent so much time. My wife was working here long before I was. She has served this church. She, we have loved this church, the people all through this church for years and years. And we have, we have never stopped coming. We have never backslidden. And we have, we have tried our best to serve this church for all those years. And instead of uh, saying, I can't come to the outreach because I got my children today, we brought our children to the outreach. Instead of Angie saying, I can't, I can't do, get my office work done because I got to watch the children, she brought Joshua and Kaylee up here. So much so that it didn't matter if you locked the door in the church they called him Pick Locker because he knew his way in. He could pick a lock in any uh, room in this church to get in. He felt like it was his own home. Locking the door was useless with Joshua. Now, let me ask you. I could have said, well, I can't sacrifice my family for the church. But what do you think was more healthy for my family? To involve my family in the church or to tell them that, that they're the reason why we can't go to church? This church, you know, Colossians 3, 3, I can't get off of it. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life. And that implies that there's a, you could go through life and never find your real life. Very possible. But this church was my preparation to my real calling in life. You know, I used to work at Power and Telephone Supply for 18 years. And I was making lots of money. And I had this retirement program. And I had all this stuff. I could have retired there, man, and been set in this, in this life. But when God called. And through this church and through my faithfulness to just work through the children and the youth and everything that, that, that just given when it came to cleaning the toilets or whatever. I've worked probably everywhere in this church. I didn't care. I just was faithful with whatever God asked me to do. And in doing that, that's where you find your real life. 
Now, I'm not saying, okay, if you work as a guest, you know, you work in guest services, that's a wonderful department, but that's not your real life. I'm not saying because you're, you host at the door, oh, you found your calling. No, that's just an entry-level position. That gets you into the idea of serving one another. But as you serve one another in these different capacities in the different teams in the church, you begin to develop a lifestyle of serving. You begin to develop the faithfulness that God requires of you to take you to the next level in your understanding of what your real life is. Am I making any sense? Am I preaching too hard again? You have to forgive me. I'm like a football coach. I drive and drive. I asked Jesus a hundred times this week, Lord, please don't let me guilt them into anything. And here I felt like I might have. But, but I, I want to be encouraging. I don't want to lead you by guilt. I'm not trying to put guilt on you about where you're at. I want to encourage you that you're here today, and you're trying. And I'm just helping you understand what God has shown me to help you understand. You know, Peter could have ended up a fisherman, but he ended up a fisher of men. Matthew, man, they paid good down there at his tax collection agency, but now he's sitting on the board of heaven. And he's strolling on the streets of gold. David started with just a few sheep. But he became the shepherd of a whole nation. By following the Lord's plan. Paul could have continued to persecute the church. He could have ended up a destroyer of lives. And destroying the church and fighting against Jesus himself. But he realized, I can't beat this thing. I better join it. He discovered his real life. Are you down in the wine press hiding from the world like Gideon? Scared what life is going to bring next? Well, rise up, you mighty man or woman of valor. God has called you to something greater. I don't care if you're the least in your tribe and the least tribe in your nation. God is calling you out of the, the recesses of life to come up and do something great for the kingdom of God. He just needs a willing body. A willing soul. It'll be him who does the work. You just say yes and amen. And the promises will come forth. The devil, the devil would love to lull you into medi mediocrity. That's what he does. He lulls us into mediocrity. But I promise you, I promise you there's more to life than you're living. And I can say that because there, I know there's more to life than I'm living. None of us have arrived. But I can promise you, Jesus says there's a more abundant life. The closer we get to him, the more we get involved in what he's doing, the more we find our true lives. There's a church growing in Iran right now. You may say, what? Iran? Isn't that a Muslim nation? Aren't they a state sponsor of terrorism? Aren't they the evil empire? Aren't they against us? Aren't we about to go to war with them? Man, I don't hear anything good coming out of Iran. But oh, God's working all over the world. And they say more people are coming to Christ in Iran than anywhere in the world, maybe other than China, which is another place you're like, what? They say in 15 years, China may have more Christians than any nation in the world if they keep going at the pace they're at right now. 
But in Iran, where these mullahs and these evil leaders of this false religion, Islam, are suppressing the people and putting Sharia law on them and, and telling them that they got to do this and do that and wear these headdresses and that, that they're supposed to kill infidels. Well, they do. They kill anybody that doesn't believe the way they tell them they got to believe. And if you're a Christian in Iran, you can expect your own family to possibly kill you, if not shun you at the very least. Do you know if you live in Iran and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, well, if they, they know it, they're going to kill you. But you lose all rights whatsoever. You have no rights. So if you were a Christian and we were in Iran and I found out about it, I could come up with a knife and poke you right in the chest right now. And there wouldn't be anything the law would do to me. Because the Sharia law says that we're to kill infidels. I could do anything I wanted to you. Women getting raped and, and all these horrible atrocities because they're Christians. But in that condition, and under that persecution, the church in Iran is growing, an underground church, like you would not believe. And you wouldn't believe that it's being led by common, ordinary people who maybe know just a few scriptures, but, but God has... You know what? God has given dreams and visions to Muslims all over the world. He is revealing himself. And these people are willing to die. They're, they're not just sitting on what they know. They're going house to house, and they're being very cautious, obviously. But they are spreading this, and it's spreading like wildfire. And the Iranian people are saying, man, we've been lied to by those mullahs. We've been lied to by our government. Now they're finding the love of Christ against this backdrop of darkness like unbelievable. And I was watching this video, and I wanted to show you a clip. I have no idea what time it is. My, my clock went out. Y'all are in trouble. No. Somebody better buy me a clock quick. No. Y'all watch this. That he shared with me was a story about... His wife, actually, something that his wife said that has really stuck in my head. He talked about how years ago they had an opportunity to move to the United States and live there, so they did. And then after being in the United States for a short period of time, his wife began to plead with him to take her back to Iran, which he felt like was crazy. I mean, who, who wants to move back to Iran under all sorts of oppression where where the sharing of your faith could bring the end of your life or brutal incarceration or rape or all sorts of horrible things who, who, who wants to do that I mean who who wants to move from the United States to Iran she told him there's a satanic lullaby here and all the Christians are sleepy and I'm feeling sleepy and that that little story uh, disturbed me because this woman was discerning a threat to her faith that was a greater threat than the kind of persecution that happens in Iran. And that threat was spiritual sleepiness. That is a more dangerous situation than persecution. And I had to ask myself the question, is that true? Is that true? What's happening in Iran right now is they're experiencing God as being all sufficient in his ability to deliver people, not necessarily out of their circumstances, 
but in their soul find deliverance and life that goes far beyond having a nice life here on this earth, but a hope for something that lasts for eternity. And to me, that's the difference. The church in the West is living for how can we make this life the best possible life? And the church in Iran is saying, forget this life. I'm living for the next one. We can learn so much from the people in persecution like our Iranians, brothers and sisters, how they are doing. They have to do it. They have to do it. And it works. It is decentralized. It is a movement of brothers and sisters without big leadership. They are led by the Holy Spirit and they trust each other. Living relationship, living unity, and it works. People are coming, hundreds, thousands are coming to follow the Lord. And if it works in places of, of persecution, why don't we learn from them? Why don't we start doing it here before the persecution for us is coming? Why don't we start now being trained and, and do it the same way so the harvest is big and if we see that it works there, why shouldn't it work here? Let's start doing the same thing, not what the Iranians do. Let's do what Jesus did. He called them to the table. The Iranians do what Jesus did. Let's do what Jesus did and learn from the Iranian people how to do it. For her, lethargy and indifference was a greater threat than persecution. And it is. It simply is. Like a thief in the night with the dog in the fight took the world by surprise. Woke the woods from asleep, blew the wind through the trees, shook the dust from the leaves. Everything, this is gonna change everything. This is gonna change everything. This is gonna change everything. Confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we should not only begin to be like him, but it should change everything about our lives. And when you're with these women, you can see they've been with him. They're just fiery and fruitful. And I couldn't honestly say that right now in the environments I've been in, that would be true. I'm believing, we're praying, we're hoping that that will be true. I believe the Lord wants to deal a decisive blow to dead religion in us and around us. I believe that the church in Iran is the instrument that he wants to use in our generation to catalyze this globally. The one who saves him, my love, who takes his life and gives it up, he is the one who has enough. Oh, he has I really do believe that meeting Jesus should change everything in our lives. And if it's not, then I don't know if we know him. Everything this is gonna change everything. This is gonna change everything. This is gonna change everything. 
that you had when you were first born again, return to your first love, to remember the joy of being forgiven, and the joy of thinking that God could use me. I know we all want to hear boy on Judgment Day, and I want nothing more than to see, see that, to see when you stand before Jesus and you tell him and you lay at his feet all the crowns that you have gathered for him and all the lives that you have brought to him and to his kingdom and all the things you have done to build his house here on the earth. I can't wait to see the joy and the excitement. I know he's going to leap with joy. I remember when, when he sent the 72 out and when they came back and they had experienced a moment of real life. We cast out devils. We did great things in your name, Jesus. And he says he was full of joy. Jesus was full of joy. He gets great, immense joy from seeing you discover your real life and discover a forever family, how important that is. You know, in those Youth Villages videos, I told you that some of those kids, that's where I got the term, some kids like Preacher Girl say things like, when I get my forever family, and how that just tore me up because I thought, you know, when you hear them say it, it just hits you in the face because aren't all families supposed to be forever families? And they were originally intended to be original. Originally, they were intended to be forever families, but we know that that doesn't always work out like that. I remember when I was eight years old and I came home from school one day and my mom and my dad called me into the kitchen and sat me down at the kitchen table and explained to me that they don't love each other anymore, that they can't get along, and, and that they're going to get something called a divorce. Now, I didn't know what a divorce was. I never heard the term. The two people that I, your old boy, I can tell you, to hear that the two people that I loved most in the whole world didn't love each other anymore, and they said that daddy wasn't going to live with us anymore. It was a pivotal point in my life, and it's something that, that shatters the innocence. And it's something that should not be. But this is the world that we live in. And so my dad moved out, and within the year we had moved off to Memphis, Tennessee, and all I'd known was cotton fields and, and country living. Now I'm living in the Americana apartments over off of Winchester Avenue. And I'm just a little eight-year-old boy, and I'm scared of this big city, don't know what to do, and I'm thinking, I need a friend, I need to have, find me a friend, so I go out and I'm riding my huffy bike through the apartment complex, and this big kid comes over, his name's Mark Putt, I'll never forget him. Mark Putt says, give me that bike. And I said, no, it's mine. He said, you better give me that bike. He come toward me, so I started pedaling, and I, and I got up some speed and was trying to get away from me. Well, he headed me off, and he grabbed those handlebars. And when he did, it, it yanked them sideways, and I flew over the handlebars. 
landing face first on the asphalt. <laughs> Bloody nose, bruised and swollen lips, and these two front teeth, which were supposed to be my forever teeth, <laughs> they were broke and shattered. And if it wasn't for this laser bonding on them right now, they would you'd see that I still, still <laughs> carried the scars of that incident. But isn't that the way the world is? We all end up broken and shattered. And the people sometimes that we depend on to provide for us the safety of family and stuff, they're broken too. And there's cycles of these things going on and broken people break one another. And we're all just hungry for a forever family. And Jesus comes along in Romans 8, 15. He tells us, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Why does he start off like that? But he's saying, I know there's going to be opportunities in this life for you to be fearful. And you to become a slave to the fears and, the, and, and how you're scared that your, your heart's going to get hurt again. But I've not given you a spirit of fear. And I've not given you the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit. When he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. Which means Daddy. He signed the adoption papers for you. In his own blood. He wanted you. No matter how broken you've been, no matter what you've gone through, Jesus adopted you when you all you had to do was call on his name. All you had to do is agree to, that I need you, Jesus. And there he was to bring you into his own family. He says, oh, no, you're not a stepchild, which we shouldn't, there shouldn't be a separation in our real children and our stepchildren anyway. But he made it official. Just so you wouldn't be concerned about that. You are just as much a child of God as Jesus is. Jesus said in John 17, Show them, Father, that you love them as much as you love me. That they are your children too. That they may be one as you and I are one. We was back there in our life group junior two Wednesdays ago. And uh, had 17 kids. We call it Life Group Junior. That's where our, our kids go when our adults are going to their life groups that meet here at the church. And so we had 17 kids, me and Angie. And I don't know if, if Tiffany was back there that day or it was just me and Angie. I don't know. But, uh, we, we, you know, it was crazy in there, 17 kids. But we were playing games and having fun, and one kid came in there. And he didn't want to be there. He wasn't used to this church or something. He came in there and he had his arms crossed and his mom tried to get him to go in there. He didn't want to go. He crying and crying out in the hallway, you know, just ain't going to go. And his sister says, come on, I'll sit with you. And everybody's trying to get him to at least go in there. He finally goes in there and he sits in the chair like this. And his sister's sitting with him and all the rest of the kids are playing and having fun and just enjoying it. We're, we're just having a hoot, you know. And we keep trying to tell him, come on. Well, I'll just call him Jimmy. I said, come on, Jimmy, 
get out here and play with us. Look, we're playing with the ball. We're doing all these things. Just sat there like that. And we kept playing and doing all these things. And finally, it just, it was getting on my nerves that he wouldn't, normally a kid would break by now, you know. But he's still over there with his arms crossed. And I said, all right, everybody, everybody tell Jimmy, we love you, Jimmy. And all the kids, all 16 other kids says, we love you, Jimmy. And he went. I ain't kidding. That's the look he had. What's wrong with these people? He kept sitting there. We played some more games. I taught a Bible study and everything. And then we were sitting down in a circle. He's still sitting over there with his sister in the chair. And we're in a, in, a, in a circle. And it was your son, Justin, was sitting by me. Justin's a cool little kid, I'm telling you. And he was sitting by me. He's my buddy, you know. He, and, and Justin was sitting next to me. And, and I was telling him we were going to go around the circle and pray for one another. And I said, Justin, you'll go first. He said, can we do something first? And I said, what? He says, can we tell Jimmy we love him again? I said, we sure can, Justin. Everybody say, we love you, Jimmy. And all the kids said, we love you, Jimmy. He said, over like that. I looked around after we got through praying. He was down there on the floor coloring with the rest of the kids. See, little Jimmy, I don't know what he'd been through. I don't know. Maybe it's just a, just a bad day. I don't know. But I don't know what you've been through. But we're all broken. We're coming from these families that are broken, that came from families that are broken, from a generations that are broken, and a world that is broken. And Jesus is trying to tell you, I've got a plan. I've got your real life. I've got you a forever family. You got to trust me. You got to put your stock in what's eternal and stop looking at the temporary and living out of your brokenness and let me repair you. I love you. And Jesus is trying to tell us over and over in a million different ways in your life that I love you. I know you're broken. I want to fix you. I want to heal your scars. I want to come in and be life to you. And I want you to stop breaking other people because you're broken. I want you to learn to help other people. John 14, 1, Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Why did he start like that? Because he knew our hearts would be troubled. He knew we'd be in fear. He knew we'd be troubled. But Jesus would look at you today and say, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. That's his heart. Forever family. He's up there building a place that will always be with him. But also, in this, simultaneously, down here on the earth, he has not left us alone. 
He sent his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He sent his love and his word and his, his name, and he's given us his blood and the power. He's given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness, and he is building a church down here to, to begin our forever family that we will have, and it's our kingdom that we're supposed to be building and be eternally minded, which is life and peace, and not carnally minded, which is death. hope you feel his love and everything that he has done for you from dying on the cross to take away your sins to rising again so that you can rise with him and live forever in the kingdom of God not as servants not as strangers not as foreigners but fellow saints and members of the household of God Sons and daughters of the Most High. Sons and daughters of Abba, of Daddy. He loves you more than you love yourself. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.